if you watch sports, then you will know uh, Les Thomas as the game day host. I mean, this man has a black and orange pickup truck. In fact, <laughs> I even have it on good authority that he now has an orange like Firebird from yes. like 1973. 1977. 1977. Yes, sir. I mean, I'll be, he is Mr. Orange. <laughs> and an OSU tattoo. And a you have an OSU tattoo, too? Yes, sir. No, please don't show that. Oh, okay. Oh, it's on your arm. <laughs> I kind of worried just a little bit yeah, here. But yeah, this yeah. isn't video, so I guess it would have been okay. And, yeah, and, yeah. And, 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 and anyway, so, yeah. yeah. Well, I, 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 I'm telling you, I, I've seen some videos of you as the OSU game day host. host and I mean, you got orange glasses. Yes, sir. You are... You're, you're. I'm all in. You're all in. I'm all I'm, in. I'm, okay, so, uh, but, but also, you're, uh, you're releasing your fourth album coming yes, up sir. pretty soon. Yeah, uh, entitled uh, Vertical. It's entitled Vertical. Yes, sir. Uh, you're, you're working on a book. I know you're, it's called the Three Levels of Influence. Yes, sir. You, about you are, you are like a, a Renaissance man, <laughs> and on top of that. You're you're working with young people through yes, Youth for Christ uh-huh. at, a, at at your old high school. Yeah, that's no right. Less, which that's is right. tremendous. So. Anyway, uh, by the way, if you want to get a look at like a two minute shot at at uh, who he is, you can go to there's a YouTube a video called "Living the Less Way." L e s way. Living the Less Way, and it's just it, it was uh, you just used game to host. But anyway, so Les, thank you for agreeing to sit with us. You are uh, in my man, my mind is a uh, a man with a plan. You're a man with a plan, and I was particularly intrigued by it. You told me that your assignment in life is to give people hope and encouragement. Yes, sir, 100%. Well, that's all I've seen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I believe um, hope, encouragement, and just to inspire, you know, spark the next generation and the current generation. So, Absolutely. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Well, it's so appropriate then that you're on a show <laughs> called Hope Leads. Hope Leads. Because let me tell you something else, folks. Um You've heard me for weeks tout this outfit called Hope Culture. Yes. Well, sitting across from me right now is one of the founding members of Hope Culture. So this dude is all about hope. And <laughs> and and anyway, so yes, sir. Uh, well, but you know something uh, that was really interesting in um, in go to, getting to know you is just to realize the background that you come from was a. Was not hope filled at all. I, I'm t- you are, yeah. you're in some respects, you're a bit of a miracle man. Yes, sir. even being here. Yes. Would you? So let's 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 start off with that because and, and the reason why I why I want to do that. Yeah. Is I especially want people who are listening in right now and are feeling hope challenged. Let's say yes, sir. Or discouraged um, to hear your story. And to see what you're doing now, and as a young man, never thought you'd live past the age of 25. That's it. Then that's that's a and, and a guy whose A score, and I'll go into that in a little bit. It, yeah. it, it, it is an eight, eight. out of ten. Eight yes. out of ten. Yes, sir. Anyway, <laughs> you you listeners, I just you cling the knowledge that what your trajectory could be and your destiny does not have to be what you think it is right now. At all. Um, I have this saying that, you know, you might have done what they said you've done, um, but you're not who they say you are. And so um, at a young age, um, I did quite a bit. I did a lot of things 
um, that ended me up in front of a place of where you used to work. <laughs> I did. Yeah. In fact, yeah. Yeah. The Berry House. In other words, uh, the juvenile detention center. That's right. That's right. And so, you know, growing up in a, um, a neighborhood of brokenness, a home of brokenness, single parent mom. And um, my father, uh, although we have a great relationship now, uh, we didn't have a good relationship back then at all. He wasn't really um, present in the home. And uh, just me, my my two other brothers and my mom. And, you know, we're having a single parent mom, you know, uh, what a lot of people are dealing with now, which I dealt with. Um, she had to work multiple jobs, which gave me a lot of idle time, mm. um, gave me a lot of time to do what friends do. And I, I yeah. grew up in a really bad neighborhood. Um, you know, they called the neighborhood murder one that I grew up in in Midwest City. And um, and so, you know, a lot of my friends were just like me, um, fatherless, uh, brokenness, poverty, um, you know, not many, not much hope at all, as you say, um, with the exception I had Mr. Green in my life. But I'll touch on that later. But, um, yeah, you know, I was just a product of my environment, as they say. Uh, so, you know, parents got a divorce at a really early age. Um you know, um, at, at the age of seven was my first time uh, witnessing someone uh, get shot, you know, at a football game. And then, uh, you know, 10th grade, uh, I found out, you know, I can make people laugh. <laughs> and I found out. Um, I, I can attest to that. <laughs> yeah. And I found out that I also had an anger streak as well. So it, it's two different worlds mixed into one growing up in the neighborhood. Um where gangs were really starting to become like huge and um, are, are the guidance for us as kids. And so, you know, fifth grade, I, I flunked the fifth grade, uh, which is a really challenge for my mom, huge challenge for my mom. Uh, well, why so? Well, the, the challenge uh, was because uh, I was a kid that had a lot of potential. Mm. And I think my mom understood that us being in the environment that we were in, um, my dad not being in my life was a recipe for um, disaster. disaster. Mm. And she was a praying woman. Mm. So her hope and her prayer was that I wouldn't take that pathway. And for her to see that, man, this is kind of the path. He's going a pathway. I don't want him to go. I like I watched my mom pray every single night on her knees you know, um, we were in a very mm. traditional legalistic church, so we was in church a lot, <laughs> a lot, <laughs> three to five times a week, right? Oh my, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so my mom, so it, it was a challenge because um, we already had limited resources, and so um, the school I was attending was Green Pastors and Spencer. Mm -hmm. um, so then we went to summer school. Uh, what really made it tough is that, what really made it hard on us is we didn't have the resources for summer school, so they told me to go to summer school, then maybe they would pass me. But then you can't. But but you got no resources to go to summer. Well, school. I don't have resources to go to summer school. Exactly. Uh, somehow, you know, mothers doing what they do. You know, I mean, making mm -hmm. it happen. Mm -hmm. um, she was able to um, bring together resources for me to go to summer school. So, but I was an attend. I was attending the Oklahoma City Public School. My brother had to go to summer school at Mill at Millwood. Mm -hmm. So my mom enlist uh, enrolled me at Millwood because then I can ride with him. Yeah. Well, I went there for two semesters, June and July, which, of course, we didn't have the money for. Um, and then um, I'm in, I remember I had B pluses uh, and uh, two letters of uh, recommendations from Millwood, from my teachers. We took it to Oklahoma City Public Schools and they denied it. 
um, because Millwood wasn't an Oklahoma City public school. Oh, my. So here it is. My mom made provision for me to go to summer school. It didn't help. And it didn't help. So we wasted money, wasted time, and I had to repeat the fifth grade. Oh, my God. Golly, yeah. well, that had to be hugely discouraging. Very, very discouraging. And so um, she tried to she tried to send me to Millwood at that time, um, but Millwood wouldn't allow wouldn't allow me in because at that age, at eleven, I had already been in trouble quite a bit. So Millwood said, "That's no. impressive." <laughs> I mean, I just wanted to tell you, as a former juvenile division director, yeah, I'm impressed. Yeah, yeah well, because you're already at 11 years old. At 11, a, a, a man with a reputation. That's right. And, and they won't even let you in another school. They would not let time. me in. And uh, I remember my mom. Just all of that together was just that's what made it devastating in my home. Hmm. And I remember my mother crying, and um, but still telling me that it wasn't the end of my story and that she believed in me. And, um, you know, uh, I went on to, uh, I passed the fifth grade and went on to the sixth grade and seventh. And then I found myself in trouble again in the seventh grade. Um, what you know, this time? <laughs> so, <laughs> well, so seventh grade, <laughs> let me clear my course, throat. It sounds more like, let me be a little more accurate. It sounds more like there's Big trouble points and smaller trouble points. Well, these are big You're trouble just points. Me that this is a big one. These are, okay. This is the big one. Seventh grade was a, a challenging, challenging time for me. Um, uh, seventh grade is my friends and I, uh, we burned down a house. <laughs> yeah, that'd be trouble. <laughs> okay, you're an arsonist now. Yeah, I'm arsonist. Oh my god! And the truth is, if I'm being honest with you, I was definitely a pyro back then. And uh, but at that time, our, our goal wasn't to burn down the house. We were mm-hmm. being kids, being silly, throwing things in the fireplace. Next thing you know, it the house is on fire. Yeah. Next thing you know, it I'm I'm standing before a judge with my mother. You know, and um, uh, it made an impact on my life for two reasons. One, I'll never forget getting in trouble. Uh, telling my mom and then uh, having to go before the judge. But then also what my mom said to me in front of the judge mm. uh, impacted my life and it resonates with me now and I, will, I won't ever forget it. What'd she, what'd she say to you? So my mother and I were standing, imagine standing in the courthouse uh, with people in there and the judge there uh, while the judge was sentencing me. How old are you? At this time, I'm 12, 13. Okay. I'm 13 right. because yeah, I fell. So I'm 13 in the seventh grade. Um so my mom is standing there uh, with me. We're facing the judge, and the judge is talking. And you know, we all know that you don't interrupt a judge because, you know, you, you don't can do leave. that. Yeah, that's e- right. E- yep, yep. Even Wes can, you know, uh, with all the smiles even, and the grin. Even I would keep my mouth yeah. shut usually, most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> or if you were on the other side, you would correct somebody, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> with that hesitation. So my mother and, uh, and I were standing there while the judge is speaking. My mom stands square. She turns and faces me. Uh, and she grabs me, grabs my cheeks, and she brings her face within about a foot of mine, maybe six inches. And she looks at me in the eyes while the judge is talking. I mean, she just completely interrupted the judge. And she said, this moment will not define you. You will go on to do great things in life. God has called you to greatness. And she was like, I rebuke Satan over your life. And she said, do not allow the judge or these people to make you think that you're a bad person. Wow. And wow. when she finished, one, tears was in my eyes. Tears was in her eyes. Quiet. I mean, for at least 30 I, seconds. I bet the judge was stupefied. Yeah, the stupefied. The, the judge didn't say anything. And then um, the people, no one said anything for a long time. It's almost like time stood still. Yeah. 
And so that was a huge impact on my life because my mom never, what people are saying in their life now is one, completely God's grace, but my mother never spoke to the adolescent or the kid in the moment. Mm. She always spoke to where um, she saw God taking me as an adult. She always spoke to the king or to the potential, the purpose in me, never um, the person that's making the bad decision at that moment. She never addressed that person. Which is remarkable. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there's a there's a lesson to any of us as parents. Yeah. You know, it's 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 about the trajectory God's got for your life and, and not yes. just this moment. Yeah. I mean, it just I mean, again, I mean the the um it's still resounding in my spirit and in my heart now. Um, part of my uh, fuel now, just, you know, that moment of someone truly believing in me. We've heard many times no one believed in me, um, but my mom or this person or that person. Like, that's that's really a fact in my life is at that time, mm-hmm. um, a lot of people had ridden me off. Uh, and um, my mom, uh, she just she believed in me, God fearing woman. And, um, you know, she kept the gas on my purpose and who I was called to be and not so much what I was doing in the moment. Um, and then, you know, um, that's a great story, right? But yes, then, you yes, know, it I, that impacted my heart, but it didn't impact my actions <laughs> necessarily. Well, there's a story. That is the story. I mean, I think I think anybody, anybody listening yeah. can raise their hand and say, yep, I think I know what that's like. Yep, yep, yep. All, all the best of intentions, <laughs> meant it sincerely, yeah. got weepy. But, uh, yeah. So my mom it impacted my life, but, I mean, I'm still a kid. Still full of anger. A lot of my anger came from uh, the frustration of of poverty and my dad not being active mm-hmm. in my life. I knew who he was, and it's not that I never spent time with him, but it was far and few between mm. that I spent time with him. And it's just just an angry kid, you know. Mm. Um, so, um, you know, I went to Rogers Middle School, which was had metal detectors. We're talking about in, you know, what is this, like 1980, uh, uh, 89, 90? We had metal detectors, you know. Well, that was um, it. And that was kind 80, of a— I mean, 87, 88. That, that, that's kind of moving into a—I mean, I don't know how long metal detectors have been hanging out, but— but that's early on. That's super early. I mean, the chances of a middle school having metal detectors. And a so, middle school. A not middle a high school, school but yeah. a middle school. It wasn't. So Rogers was a school that um, so many kids from different areas of Spencer and Midwest City came together. So it was it was almost like a, uh, um, you know, a, a recipe for disaster as well, because you you took all these kids, you know, gangs and things like that are more so about territory. So you're bringing all these people, all these kids from various territories together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so it's just it was bound to be a problem. And so um, I myself, I wouldn't say that I was a gang member, but I was 100 percent affiliated when you were when mm. you grew up in the neighborhood, you was yeah. asso- you was guilty yeah. by association. And so you did what they did. You know, you did what everyone else did. And so what was the gang in, in your neighborhood? Uh, <laughs> or do you want? Oh, do you want me, is that a question you don't want me to ask? I'm going to reel that question back in because I can. Yeah. I can see that's not something that you want to. Okay, yeah, well, forget I want, about that. Just remember the name of the neighborhood. The nickname was Murder, Murder One. One. Okay. Murder One. So if you know about the neighborhood, you know what it is. Yeah. And um, 
uh, you know, uh, it's an unfortunate thing, but a lot of kids I grew up, they're no longer around it. And my yeah. mom was there until and <laughs> until 2010 when she passed. So I still was in contact with some of them, um, the ones that were still left around. But many of them, um, rest in peace, they're no longer with us. And it just, uh, it, it just, uh, you know, a lot of kids was product of their environment. So, well, well, in fact, in fact, let me just toss in one more thing you told mm-hmm. me that I, I think is really significant. You, you said to me something like, in a neighborhood of 300 homes. Only five of them had, what, both parents? Yeah, both parents. I mean, um, that was definitely um, uh, a really, I mean, the statistic of fathers in the in the home are involved in the kid's life or both parents mm-hmm. is super low. I mean, five, mm-hmm. when I think about it in my mind, honestly, a neighborhood of 300 homes or so, um, two to 300, I would say 250 to 300 I would say five may actually, you know, when, when it came to my friends, that might be being a little generous. Uh, generous. I mean, like we, when I think about it right now in my mind, honestly, I can only think of two, well, we say both parents. I can only think of one of my friends that had both parents. Yeah. I mean, one of my close friends that had yeah. both parents. Most were, I mean, I did have one friend where his dad was raising them, but most of the time it was a single mom yeah. <clears throat> raising multiple kids. And so, um, you know, it, it's really hard for a single single parent to keep their thumb on on a on a kid. As great as my mom was, as active, she didn't miss anything. She was very very present. It was just really hard uh, for them to keep a pulse on what was going on. And and um, like I said, a kid full of anger, a lot of frustration. Um, uh, seventh grade, I end up making. Uh, a decision that was one of the worst, but also actually, if I'll be honest with you, one of the best. So in seventh grade, um, I end up fighting the teacher, you know. Um, <laughs> did, did you say teacher? <laughs> I fought a teacher in you seventh fought, grade. Yeah, wow. and got kicked out of school, you know. So, oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, Rogers Middle School, seventh grade, fought a teacher, um, got kicked out of school. And I remember um, seeing the the disappointment on my mm-hmm. mom's face. Mm-hmm. Um, just like I won't forget that moment in the court, I won't forget that moment of my mom had a look of what are we going to do now? I already tried to put you in another school yeah. um, and they denied it. And so <clears throat> my mom did something that changed my life forever. Um, next to Jesus entering my heart, um, this was the biggest moment in my life. And that was, um, my mom, in order for her to transfer me to another school, she went to court and gave custody up to my uncle and aunt, my uncle Paul and my my aunt Olivia. And my mother is, is she's not Jesus at all, but I compare it to Jesus. Mm. Like she loved me so much, <clears throat> she was re- willing to give up her rights. Something that mm. crushed her. Mm. I remember my mom crying, leaving the courthouse. And I'm like, Mom, I'm still living with you. But she was like, but less you don't understand, like, like you're mine, gave you're my responsibility. God gave you to me. And I'm having to get relinquish my rights. Yeah. You know, um, for you to go live with your well, for you to use your uncle and aunt's address. Yeah. yeah. Not to live with. Yeah. Um, but I, even though I had to go there after school and yeah. things like that, um, till my mom got off of work to yeah. pick me up. Um, you know, her giving up her rights, um, honestly, if I was a single out the greatest thing or greatest sacrifice anyone has ever done for me in my life. And there's been a lot of great sacrifices. That mm-hmm. moment of my mom 
giving up her rights so I could attend another school was by far um, the the biggest thing, the greatest thing that any individual has ever done for me. That's that's really profound. And, and, you know, there are a lot of, I'll bet you, a a good number of single moms maybe even listening to this. Yeah. And your your mom was just— a strong cup of tea. I mean, I yeah. mean to just keep keeping on yeah. with with you and your brother. Yeah. Um, I mean, what do you say to to mom, single moms out there? I mean, what's yeah. the what's the, I mean? The, I mean, we all know that's just it's it can be pretty overwhelming. Yeah. Um, uh, to single moms or single dads out there listening, um, uh, don't lose hope. I, I'm a, a great example of how God can take a mess and turn it into a message, which we've heard that. And sometimes we take that so lightly, but I am really a a walking message of God's glory um, to not give up on your child and to believe in them. Um, If you don't take anything away from what I'm saying, um, speak those things to be not as though they were and speak into your kid's life. Um, That moment or that action, that's not who they are. Um, that they just made a mistake, they made a decision, and they may be making multiple bad decisions like I did. But my mom always spoke to my future. Where do you see your kids going? What would you like for them to be? Um, what would you? What what purpose? What destiny? What gifts do you see in, in in them? If you're speaking to the bad decisions more than you're speaking to the gift, mm. the bad decision is what's being fed. That's what they're going to get named. That's what they're going to be named. If you're telling kids you're like your dad, you're like your mom or whatever it may be. Well, here's the thing. You're speaking now. Our words carry power. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, in James chapter three, it says, how can fresh water and salt water run from the same stream? Mm-hmm. And so the thing is, whatever is whatever is coming out the stream the most will be the p- most powerful, will be the strongest. And so if you're speaking to to the kid in that moment of what they're doing, they will reproduce that. But as I, I encourage um, uh, single mothers and single dads out there to speak to where you would, where you see God taking them versus where they're at in that moment, mm. and um, and stay on your knees. My mom prayed every night. I I can't think of it. Don't matter if we were at home or out of town. My mom got on her knees every single every night, and she prayed for me and blessed all. I mean, <laughs> and she she applied blessed all, mm. and uh, she never hesitated to pray, and she was very intentional. Um. I can't I can tell you that most of our conversation wasn't about my bad decisions. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, some some parents like if you're listening and you find yourself um, being frustrated uh, to where you want to give up and and 80 percent of your conversation is about the bad they're doing. Um, I I, smile, I I gently challenge you to stop. Mm-hmm. I, ch- I gently challenge you to stop um, feeding the negative part. Um, and start speaking words of, of of being positive, words of powerful words into their life about who they are and who the, who they're called to be. And that's I'm, my mother did that. And um, I, I don't think she, I don't think anyone gave her that blueprint. Um, that's just something she did, you know. And that's so powerful because there's a real spiritual principle in there that you've already touched on. But but the other day I ran across a a, a quote. By a a well-known Christian thinker named C.S. Lewis, he's been gone for a long time. He's pretty bright uh, light there, but he said there are no ordinary people. You have never met a mortal, 
And so he's talking about the image of God. We, yeah. as, as human beings, are made in the image of God. Yes. And it means a couple of things. It gives us, it, to be human, gives us two special distinctives, which is really what you're, what you're talking about here. I mean, number one, it means that we, we've got a dignity that no other created thing has. It's a special and undiminished connection to the Creator. But, but here's the deal that you're talking about. It also means that we, everyone, every human being on yeah. earth has a potential destiny. Yes. And we have, in other words, we have an intended trajectory to reflect the glory of God in Christ. Yes. But m- many people don't make it. Well, and here's the thing. As a kid, the responsibility of what you just said is not on the kid. Right. right. It's on the parent. Right. Right. Like you know, that kid has potential. Yeah. Um. That that kid has a, he has, um, or she has a pathway, um, multiple pathways to choose. Um. Since we, since you and I met, I've I found a letter, and I'm not sure if I told you this, but I found a letter. I was cleaning out a drawer at home. We got some new furniture. My mom wrote me a letter. It had to be somewhere between 2004 and 2010 when she um when she passed. But this letter was on a yellow piece of paper, not a huge piece of paper. And she just said, she said, Les, I'm so proud of you. Mm. Um, She was like, you had so many pathways to choose and you chose God's way. Mm. And then she went on to talk about um, an encounter I had with Dwight Thompson at seven years old. Um, She was like, I'm so glad I took you to the Dwight Thompson Mm -hmm. um, convocation or revival and um, she believed at that moment in time, which I do too, that uh, impartation took place. Um, and so l- let me stop right there real quick. If your kid has had an impartation or a moment with God, don't think just because their actions don't reflect it right afterwards that something great didn't happen. No, because that's, that, a, that's, a, that's a word. Yeah, that because because at seven, a great impartation happened, but yeah. it didn't show fruit in my life right away. So don't give up on yeah. don't give up on that moment that your child had with God. Mm-hmm. That moment of them in tears, maybe not even understanding what's going on, and they may go on to make some bad decisions. That doesn't mean that 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 you know they that it didn't happen, that it didn't take root in their heart. Because I believe what happened at the age of seven is producing in my life now, mm. and so um. But yeah, that you know that that's really the thing there. So this monumental uh, switch to Millwood, yes, that was a that was a big deal. That was a huge deal. I went from getting in trouble uh, to uh, having a great time. You know, um, it's not that I was still honorary. I still was a leader in my class, and and sometimes I led the wrong way. <laughs> um, but my mom could stomach that because it had nothing to do with the police or the laws or getting yeah. kicked out or getting suspended. <laughs> yeah. So she was like, well, let's got a referral today. I guess hey, he's still in school. So, you know, everything is OK. <laughs> it's a whole matter of perspective. Yeah, matter of perspective. But I, um, it, what it did was it got me out of the idle time of being in the negative environment. Um, you know, when she switched schools with me, um, the atmosphere was totally different at Millwood. Um, less trouble, um, no metal detectors. Yeah. Uh, you know, students wasn't, they weren't fighting, fighting teachers and the, the mentality was just different. And so, um, I ended up doing really well at Millwood, um, thriving, um, uh, and just became a really good kid. And, and so I'm, I'm thankful to this day that my mom, uh, took me out of that school Mm. because for me, Mm. for me, um, it was a great decision, a, Mm. a great, great decision. And um, my mom made it happen, and I, I'm very thankful. 
But you still, uh, I mean, you're still at this point in time, you, you don't think you, you don't think you really have a big future. Oh, not at all. Yeah. I'm still thinking I'm not going to make it to 25, even though, I mean, cause I still lived in the same neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, if anything, uh, my enemy list might have grew a little bit because now I'm having to go to other environments that may know me where I'm from. And so, um, uh, you know, I'm still thinking at this age, I was 15 when, uh, no, 14, uh, when my, when I started attending Millwood, yeah, eighth grade, I was 14. Um, I'm still thinking I'm not, I'm not going to make it to 25. Um, all I knew was I loved the band. I love playing the drums and I just want to do that as long as I could. Well, in, in fact, uh, I mean, you're, you, you told me earlier that of course your goal was to, to live to age 25, yeah. but to play at a historic Black college marching band. Yeah, that the drums was my safe haven. The only time I felt safe or my getaway was playing the drums. I absolutely loved it. You mean it? You mean to tell me that there was something I can do where I can be arrogant, cocky? Uh, where it's I okay. Can, it was okay. I could take out my anger because because in, in our type of um, band, if you will, the 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 drums. It's a battle. We called it a battle, mm. just like Drumline the movie. Um, it's very serious, very intense. Who's the best? I'm going to show you up. It's not about so much um, showmanship. It's more so who who's going to show who up. And the drums uh, absolutely made me happy, made me forget anything bad I, bad that was going on. So I, I had two goals as a young teenager, and that was to play in a historical black college band and to make it to 25. And so... Um, uh, drums was, was was life. I mean, drums was absolutely my well, life. Well, and so you made it to an historic college. I did. I did. I, I, it didn't last for, long. For a brief moment. <laughs> for a brief moment. Because you're still struggling <laughs> with the old guy. I'm I'm struggling. What it is is I'm struggling with identity. That's what it is. Yep. My, my identity was completely in the bad decisions I made, and my identity was in even the good things, but more so bad than good. Um, which, you know, uh, identity and anything outside of Christ is just you're wasting your time. So you end up at Southern University. Southern University in Louisiana. And within a month. Within a month. You are getting into a fight with the drum major. With the, and the drum major at a historical black college, the drum major has more popularity than the quarterback. I mean, I I mean, mean <laughs> this is that's a big statement. That's right a there. huge you statement. At a Division One school, no yes. less, they are they have more popular. They're more popular, more more powerful. I guess more powerful. Uh, the drum major at a historical black college is the the man or the woman. And in Southern University's case, it's only one drum major, and it's always a male. So it's not like it's three, four, or five drum majors like a lot of school. Mm-hmm. At this school, it was one drum major. So of all the people in the world on the planet know. to p- get in a fight, I know. it's with the drum major. So goodbye, Southern. Yeah, so next thing you know, I found myself uh, on, a, on a Greyhound <laughs> headed back to Oklahoma. Also, a, a side note that's pretty funny is my family, they were thinking, oh, we need to come out there and, and do something to come get them. And I'm like, no, listen, these people in Louisiana are really crazy. Just let me come home. Let me get out of here. None of us will make it out safe. If we leave here, we will not make it out safe. So y'all going to make a bad problem worse. Right now, I can leave, and the worst thing that happened is I have bruises on me. Yeah. yeah. But uh, if we if y'all come here to try to save me, we, we're we all going to have bruises.
bruises yeah. and we may not walk away. May, may, that may be worse. <laughs> we may not make it back to Oklahoma. Okay, so so yet again, you know, this is one of the great, you're a great example also as, as really any of us, if you really think about it. Life with God is all about getting up. Yes. It's just, you know, you're always in some place of tripping, falling, but getting up. Just yes. keep getting up. Keep and getting so up. you've tripped again. And uh, again, and so your your mom is, is still waiting. Uh, no, is she still with? Is she still alive? Yeah, yeah, my mom. She was still alive. So she. Had, so when you. So you've gotten kicked out of one school, middle school. Now you're kicked out of a college. College. She she must have just been pulling her hair out right about that. Well, I mean, she she probably was, but she just never showed <laughs> but she it. She never spoke. She so, never showed it or a, spoke it. Well, never showed it or spoke it. Ever. Amazing. I mean, Amazing. like the the thing is, is that you know words carry power. With yeah. with words, yeah. we can crush people. With words, we can lift them up. So you end up. Uh, I mean, you you continue because this the whole music. Th- this is this is as you said before. It's it's a really big deal. In oh, fact, yeah. I've seen. Oh my gosh! What, what what blew me away was was watching your music video on, on the song Freedom. Oh yeah, yes sir. Oh my golly! Yeah. Oh my golly! I mean, I could I could start. Wave, you know, I could go start rocking back and forth on that right now. Yes, sir. But this whole, this whole, you, you, you do finally get connected back up with, oh, yeah. with the with the music world. I know you ended up at Langston. Yes, sir. I ended up at Langston. Yeah, and then I, yeah, I ended up at Langston University. Which honestly, at this time, that was the first time I had ever experienced depression in my life. Um, because I'm thinking, man, the only goal I had was to be in the band. I didn't have a goal. Uh, to get a degree. I didn't have a goal to even get associates. I didn't think about graduating college. I just wanted to be in a band. Mm-hmm. And so when I uh, when I left Southern, I mean, I'm really depressed. Uh, what's next for me? And, and thankfully, my cousin, Tori Purvey, uh, was a drum major at Langston University. And he talked to, um, um, uh, yeah, I, for, I forgot the band director's name, uh, Albert Something, Mr. Albert. But, but anyway, the drum major, the big man on campus. Yeah, yeah, he's a drum, spoke yeah. for you. He spoke for me, and um, I end up having a scholarship to Langston University. Oh my! Did you know it doesn't take a majority to create change? All you need is ten percent of the population, and change happens. Hope Culture is a community building a movement to create a life of hope for every person in this community. You don't have to just talk about hope. You can wear hope because Hope Culture's beautiful apparel line does just that. In this revolution, Hope Culture is the flag you wear. Go to Hope Culture, that's one word, hopeculture.us. For every item you take home from the Hope Culture apparel line, 50% goes back to the city. So go today and join the 10% of the people leading the charge, the 10% who speak with their lives. Hope is the culture. Go to hopeculture.us. That's hopeculture.us. I was there for a year and a half. Um, That second year, the fall of that second year, my wife and I, well, at that time, we weren't weren't married, but um, we had our son, and uh, I dropped out of college and joined the military. Well, and that was a big turning point. It was huge okay, turning okay point. now let's set this up because when you told me this, this is this is really funny. You, I mean, people don't realize that. I mean, you you had become a kind of a big deal in the in the in the hip hop world. Yeah, uh, and so not at this age. Okay, okay, but so this is 
This Later is prime. Oh, this is by this the time is, you got on the deployment. Yeah, 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 right. yeah. Okay. This, this right here was 98. Okay, so. When I had my son, yeah. So at that time, it was like me, I joined the military. I left, dropped out of college, and I wanted to be able to provide for my son. That was huge for me. Um, the lack thereof of, of my dad um, actually fueled me to say that I I will not allow my son to feel the way I feel. Um, so then I joined the military and um, I wanted to make sure I was be, I was able to provide. But there, but there, it seems like there was one last something yeah. that that, uh, that God had to finally squeeze out of you, and that was um, after you all got married. Yes. Oh, yeah. And and you were you were not the kind of I was husband nice. and father. I wasn't nice. Yeah, I mean, I mean, so t- some, but something changed. You were, you were, you told me you did a one eighty, completely one, yeah, complete one eighty, yes, sir. So something finally broke through yeah. all of the stuff. At, at this time, I was, um, at this time when this happened, I was very frustrated. I was lost as a man, um, trying to lead a, a family, uh, trying to be in a, a be a husband and a father. I really didn't have an example of that. So um, at that age, I'm frustrated with life, frustrated frustrated with trying to lead my family. And honestly, um, I wasn't a good guy. You're in your early 20s? Early 20s. I was probably about 22. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very verbally abusive to my wife, um, never, never physical, but... Uh, very verbally abusive, control and protect, uh, uh, just just horrible. Uh, I put holes in walls, broke uh, remote Ooh. controls uh, to the TV, which is dumb. Now you got to get up and go change it manually. <laughs> <laughs> but, that shafted yourself. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. But um, so all this is going on. Chaos is going on. I, I have my son and we have a daughter. And uh, my my wife started going to church. Uh, well, my mom had told us about a church um, that was starting up. Uh, and my my wife, I wasn't really into going to church. I didn't want to go to church. Mm. Um, my wife, uh, she she really put a foot down. But when it came to going to church, she was like, you know, I'm going to go with you or without you. And for me, that was such, um, it's sad to say, but it was so intimidating to me because I knew that if my wife found her identity in Christ, I was a goner. Cause she knows she deserved wow. she would she deserves so much better than what I was giving her. You're, you 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 thought then that if she if she starts going to church she might find a different identity, but in Christ, yes, and that would that would boot you out because you I, couldn't stand yeah. up. I absolutely knew that, and I'm gonna tell you how I knew that because I would throw a fit to try to get my wife to stop her from going to church. Wow. I would literally start an argument, a bad argument with my wife while she was getting dressed to go to church to try to discourage her from going. Wow. Because I knew that once she found out who she was, I would lose control. You'd, you'd be kicked to the curb. And I was so insecure that I wanted control. The con- the whole thing about controlling and um, uh, trying being overbearing was really my own insecurities. And so... Um, she would go to church, and sometimes I would go with her here and there. Uh, and and um, I remember uh, I just started going to church because my wife, you know, she she's beautiful. You know, I mean, I've seen know, her. Yeah, I, yeah. Would, I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I struck, I'm sitting right there. I had a home run on that one, Doc. You, you did. But, uh, <laughs> but but uh, my wife, you know, um, I was just so jealous that 
I wanted the guys at church to know that she was spoken for. Um, so I started going to church with her, you know, um, going to church for the wrong reasons. <laughs> for the wrong reason. <laughs> you know. You're sticking um, a claim to this good looking lady yeah, here. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, uh, I, w- I would go to church sometimes. And and then uh, our pastor at that, at that time, he pulled my wife to the side. Now, of course, I wasn't there when this happened, mm. but he pulled her to the side and he told her that God is going to, he said, you've been going through a lot of hell in your marriage. Now, here's the thing. We had put on a face for everybody, everyone. Mm-hmm. When we would go to church, oh, y'all the beautiful family. Y'all the cutest couple ever. Y'all look so happy. And here's the thing. They didn't realize that we were going through hell the moment we stepped out of the out of the building. Mm. You know, and so, uh, you know, and there's a lot of people that's living like that now. Yeah. You know, they put on a face for all of us. But at home, they, they're, they're dealing with some real, they got some real struggles. And that was, that was our life. Um, everyone would just talk about how beautiful we were and we looked happy but my wife was far from happy and I was far from happy not because how I was being treated but because uh the the chaos I was causing at home and so um my uh, pastor at the time told my wife he said you've been going through a lot of hell in your marriage um and God is going to turn it around within two weeks um which is a profound comment yeah Yeah. profound and a a bold statement oh absolutely Uh, yeah obviously he he saw right through yeah. The facade. Oh yeah, he saw right through it. You know, he never showed it to me. I always smiled. Hey, Les. You know, you know, always. Um, and at that time, I was pretty disrespectful. I didn't. I wouldn't. Even, I didn't even call him pastor. So he. So this stranger to you, really largely, because he wasn't your pal. No, no, he Maybe wasn't my pal. Yeah. As a pastor that you were showing up with, just to hang with your wife. Yeah. He he said something was going to happen in, within two weeks. Within two weeks, he told my wife that and. And she, um, she, she was wise enough not to share that with me because I would have rebelled, right? Um, so of course I didn't find that out to after the case, but, but what, what I, I found myself, um, in my apartment. Um, you know, we lived in some apartments at the time and I was watching TBN. I never TBN, watched TBN. <laughs> you're watching, I mean, you're watching TBN. T- I never watched TBN. If, <laughs> if anyone has any bad thing to say, I'm here to tell you that <laughs> TBN can save your life. <laughs> God can use anything. <laughs> so you find yourself by some small miracle watching the one channel that you. That I never watched. Yeah. I never watched TBN and, you know, back then it's not like we had a thousand channels, but, you know, I'm watching TBN and, and there's a pastor on there, um, speaking and, um, I, I just remember he had a strong accent like he was from Africa. I don't remember who it was exactly, mm-hmm. but I'm watching TBN and the next thing, I don't remember how I got from the sofa to the middle of the room. I don't even remember that. Only thing I remember is I'm on the sofa watching TBN. Next thing you know, it, I'm on my knees with my hands in the air, <laughs> crying, <laughs> sobbing, oh my. and repenting. Yeah. I'm repenting to God. I'm asking him to uh, forgive me for all my sins, for being the bad person that I was because I knew better. I was raised better. Mm. And so I just remember being on my knees, hands in the air. The next thing you know, it, I'm laying prostrate. My face is against the carpet you know i'm laying down and i'm just weeping asking god to come into my heart asking jesus to come in my heart and just asking him to forgive me and that moment right there mm. is when the 180 happened mm. um i shared with my wife what happened when she when she got home and um that's when she let me know what the pastor said and i did a 180 i went from being the guy that was drinking cussing being disrespectful it's almost like i had a split personality yeah. split personality that was december of 2002 so was that 
Was that within two weeks? That was within two weeks. That's when she shared with me when I told her what when I told her what just happened. That had to blow your mind. She let me blew my mind, blew my mind, and I'm so glad she didn't tell me because the enemy would have tried to use. Oh yeah, that. yeah, 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 yeah. Well, okay, so so now you're you're on a different course, yes. and and as it sounds like you're you're kind of finally you're on course. I'm on finally right, in for finally <laughs> all in. Finally, finally. It took a long time. <laughs> well, so so you know, after that point, I know I know you're in the you're in the military at that point, time, aren't yes, you? Yes, I'm in the military. And I know you do you get in deployment, but but let's talk about your music just a little bit yes. on the because this is really I just really encourage like like for instance, I listened to another song who is God? It was on the holy hip hop. Yes. I, I mean, you. Oh, you've been the, doing research. I did. I did. Yes. And I and I just went. That's a beautiful song. Yes, sir. One and of that's my favorites. You singing? Is that you singing there? I'm, I'm rapping one of the verses, but it's not me singing. I can't sing that good. If I sing, we'll we'll bust out in a holy laughter. If oh, I sing, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> you're playing the drums or doing something. Yeah, on yeah, that I'm, thing. I'm 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 rapping and yeah. I help produce it. So so the yeah. keys and the drums on it. That's that's me along with another producer. Yeah. So so just to, just to touch briefly on on that 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 there is one story that's pretty funny. I think that and that is you're showing up in Kuwait. I yes. think it was Kuwait. And, yes. And, and so. And it's your first deployment yes. with the Air Force. Uh-huh. And the, it, it, so tell us about the, from the music. So you're showing up, yep. but by the time you get there, everybody on the base already knows who you are. We're talking about on the other side of the world, they knew who. <laughs> Which is wild. Amazing. I mean, it's just like God continue to blows my mind, blow my mind. But um, so, yeah, at this time, uh, you know, uh, my mentor uh, talked to me about starting a rap group. The na- name of the group was Mobsters, uh, Mobsters of Light. And so we were doing music and traveling, and uh, we did the song Who Is God. That's mm-hmm. actually the song that made uh, put us where we became national recording artists. And um, so— um, Hey, you, you guys even played outside the Super Bowl. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that I mean, was with yeah, yeah, a, a different group. Different That's different with a different group, group. But, yeah. But, I mean, this is how, who you're yeah, hanging yeah. with. I mean, I'm just kind of amazed. Yeah. Anyway. So now God is using my gifts mm-hmm. for His glory, and um, and uh, and I'm back into you know, I guess finally on track. And so God is blessing what I'm doing. Um, so uh, I'm headed to go to Kuwait, uh, October 2006, and um, I stopped. I went to go stay with my uncle on the way there. He lives in Washington D.C. I li- I stayed with him for about two days. I was really nervous, and at that time he was just and he still is a pillar in my life. And I went to church with him, and the pastor prophesied over my life. Uh, he said that this is not a deployment for you. He said you're in you're in God's army, and God is going to use use you to do great things overseas. He then he talked about a bubble being around me that's protecting me. He said, in fact, people are going to know you before you get there. This yeah. is what he says to me. <laughs> people are going to keep it, keep that in mind. People are going to know people are you, going to know you before you before get there. you even get. That's there. what he said, and he said that God was going to use me to do great things over there. So of course, in my carnal mind, in my flesh mind, I'm thinking, man, no way people are going to know who I am. I mean, I'm just a Christian rapper in Oklahoma, and, you and, know? and I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a I'm a military. I mean, what was your rank at the time? At the, I'm like a, a senior airman, maybe a maybe a staff. I'm a staff sergeant. Okay. I'm a staff sergeant, but I'm nobody in the military. I mean, that's compared to a million people in. in 
the military, yep. right? So um, I'm like, how is this going to happen? It's funny how we start thinking things out. But he told me this. And so I go over um, and when I get off the plane, my friend says to me, um, well, no, I noticed people were looking at me or different things like that was going on. So, again, being deployed, it's not like being in jail, but it is mm. whenever something happens like it's exciting. You know, if you receive a letter or you, so, uh, a box full of good things, you're just you're excited. Everything excites you mm. because you're away from family. And um, when I'm there, you know, people are looking at me. I'm wondering what's going on. You know, why are they staring at why me? Why are they like staring that? at me? Yeah. And people high fiving me are saying hello, <laughs> <laughs> which is not your typical military welcome. To Absolutely some, not. You know, uh, I mean, like enlisted you know, guy. Yeah, we're getting off the bus, and I mean, everyone is getting some love, but I'm kind of getting extra love. <laughs> and uh, not kind of. I I really am. I'm getting extra love. And so I went on to my room. I slept for two days, literally. Um, and then when I woke up, they told me about a desert idol, desert idol, just like American idol. <laughs> and, um, they were have. I got there on a Monday. There's an idol was on a Thursday. So I woke up, I guess, Wednesday or whatever. And my friend was like, you know, uh, Hey, my, not my, not just my friend Terrence, but also the office. They said, Hey, we signed you up, uh, for, for desert, desert idol. idol. <laughs> and, I'm like, you signed me up for Desert Idol. One, I just got here too. Like, what am I supposed to do? I mean, I know I'm a music, I do music, but I'm in a group. Like, we do music together. <laughs> and uh, um, I didn't have much time to prepare. And my friend was a loud mouth, just, uh, <laughs> oh man, he just uh, um, animated guy. Like you. Like me, <laughs> exactly like me. And this guy. Ran around the base, loud mouth, telling everyone that his friend was coming <laughs> and his friend was going to win the Desert Idol. So, so here's oh, the thing. So everybody's anticipating. Everyone is anticipating. And at that time, if you can Google someone in yeah. 2006, yeah. that was yeah. huge. Yeah. So he was actually telling people, go look at my friend, Mopsters of Light. Oh, you know? so they saw you were a real deal. You weren't just a, uh, this wasn't a joke. Yeah, you, no, you, no, you, this you, really yeah, happened because yeah. at that time my name was Rebel for Christ. And so people can Google me. And so the the thing is, so God used him when 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 this preacher said a fame was going to go out before mm-hmm. me, that people were going to know me. Mm. Like, he didn't know that this was going to happen. But God used my friend to mm-hmm. prepare everyone that I was that I was mm-hmm. coming. And so my friend, the, my office, they signed me up and my friend is telling everyone. And again, over there, uh, you know, little things become huge. And all they know is we have this famous guy coming here that's an artist and I can actually search him on the web and he has his own album out, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And so, which in 2006 was a huge deal. So I find myself on a Thursday. Well, first I was wondering, what God, God, what song do I do? I'm by myself. And I had one song that I did by myself called called Growing Pains. Mm -hmm. And, Excuse me. Growing Pains was about my life. It was my life story about growing up in the gang neighborhood, then about how I was in the beginning of my marriage. And then uh, the finale of the song talks about God using me uh, for his glory and how God, uh, how God walked me through that. So I did this song called Growing Pains, and they had a real auditorium there that held around 700 or so. And when I did the song... By the time I did, by the time I ended the song, 
complete complete standing ovation. Everyone is standing up, clapping, and and here's the deal: everyone's doing covers. I'm thinking, man, are people gonna like me? I'm doing my own song. People are getting up there singing covers that people already know, yeah. so they have an advantage. Yeah. So I get up there singing a song that no one has ever heard before. I'm thinking, how is this going to impact? How am I going to win? I'm only doing this because someone signed me up. Standing ovation by the end of the song. There were three judges. Um, and then one of the judges was a commander, an older guy. He ended up quoting one of my lines in the song. Mm. When he quoted to, the the line was, I might have did what they said I did, but I'm not who they say I am. And when he said that, everyone, everyone went crazy. See, 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 and that's back to the identity deal. Yeah. This whole issue of identity has just been the thread yes. in your life. 100%. And so, fast forward now. Yes. You're 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 at you're you're now uh, with Youth for Christ, yes, as sir. well as um, at OSU, yeah. and, and which was a remarkable opportunity. Oh yeah, as well. Uh, dream job, dream job. And, for and sure. so, um, but thinking about um, just where you find yourself today. And uh, and dealing with you deal with young people all the time. Oh yeah, I mean, how do you speak into the the kids at Millwood, for example, yeah. your old stomping ground? Yes. How do you how do you speak into their life? I mean, how do well, you... I I speak in their life life one by being open and very transparent about my life. Um, you know, God gave me God allowed that pathway for a reason, and I feel like I wouldn't I wouldn't be doing justice. Or I I I wouldn't be. Um, as potent as I can be as far as making an impact on someone's life if I was to act like those things didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I've t- I told you this uh, before when we spoke. Um, I, I'd rather give that mother or dad hope or that kid hope that maybe having struggles. I'd rather do that and look foolish or crazy to those that we think matter. Mm. Um, usually we think people with the power, with the money, with the, uh, with the platform that they matter. But if God called me to them, mm-hmm. then God would allow me to be in their life. And if he didn't, I won't. My life is to inspire and encourage. And so those kids, I'm very open and honest about my life. I tell them where I came from. A lot of them don't have their dad in their life. So I was really honest about, I'm really honest with them about, um, uh, my, my childhood, uh, but the antidote is Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so I use my life as an example to open up their heart, but I fill it with Jesus, man. That's what it's all about. Their identity is not in that moment because in their home, the truth is most of them are not growing up with a parent like mine that spoke to the potential and the purpose, you know, um, or whatever they're, they're called to. Their gifts, my mom did. And so in their life, I want to play a role of expanding their mind and showing them that you may not it, it, you may not have control of the environment that you're living in, but at some point in time you will have control of that. But right now, what you do have control of is your spiritual walk, your life. You may not be able to you know stop your mom and dad um, from cussing you out or saying bad things to you at home, but there's something called the Holy Spirit that can walk you through that valley while you're dealing with that, and you have no choice. Um, so with the kids, I'm just, uh, I give them Jesus. I bring pizza too. I bring a bunch of boxes of pizza. <laughs> pizza and Jesus. Pizza and Jesus. <clears throat> and I just, um, I, 
I celebrate and I don't dim my light and I don't dumb down what God has done in my life. Mm. Uh, a lot of times we want to dumb down what God's done in our life um, because tradition or religion has taught us that we have to have this humility about, you, you know, you don't want to look like you have much. You, mm-hmm. you know, I grew up in that type of church. You know, you mm-hmm. do, you don't want to like you have finer things in life. But my mm-hmm. thing is, no, yes, I, I want to show what God has done in my life. Yeah, yeah. And so for them, I don't hold them to the standard of my life. Yeah. I hold them to the standard of what God has called them to. And I show them this is what God has done in my life. And I came from this. I came from the gutter. I came from being a kid that didn't think I would make it to 25 mm-hmm. to now God has gave me a large platform. Mm-hmm. See, the the mess is somewhat, you know, if I will, if you will, the what qualified me for the platform. Mm-hmm. See, Be- boy, listen to the boy, folks. I hope you heard that. Yeah. The mess is what qualified you for the platform. Yes, I mean, sir. some of you out there right now are listening and, and you are... You are uh, you're thinking that you've made you've dug such a hole for yourself. Yeah, there is no hope. <laughs> yeah, uh, there, but well, Les is just. I mean, the, now I bet his hole was bigger than yours. Oh yeah, just, just, <laughs> so, or deeper. <laughs> and so there is hope. The hope. But what's but the so what do you do? Well, speaking of hope, because you are a dealer in hope. Yes, sir. You you are hope you're, you're casting it out like a yeah like a one of those. Uh, the farm equipment uh, yeah. sucking up the the stuff grain and pouring it out into that yeah. truck that's walking oh, along yeah. or driving alongside it, and so so hope culture. Yes, sir. That, the, the, the the listeners on this podcast have heard me hammer this, <laughs> yes, uh, like every time, yeah. and we and we talk about that, and, and this is a this is a remarkable uh, deal that you guys have started. It's uh, you know, five of you, one yes, including our illustrious producer here, oh, yeah. uh, uh, David, David Skidmore, Skidmore in the room right now. Whoop, whoop. But, uh, whoop, whoop. <laughs> but but uh, but you guys, you, the five of you, Vernon Dees, you, Marcus Jackson, Marcus Jackson, Michael Carnuccio, and, yes, and David, just a few months ago, put this thing together, and and of course, the, and the folks that have heard this have heard this. Uh, I've heard this me kind of doing a commercial on this, but but there was a specific something that I just want to touch on uh, briefly, and that was yes, sir. You have a goal, and it's a tipping point. Yes, sir. In culture, so explain that. <clears throat> so the goal is to um, it takes ten percent um, to tilt a community, um, a neighborhood, a city, and so our goal here in, uh, is. Approximately 640,000 people here in uh, Oklahoma City and um, metropolitan area. So it's actually bigger in the metro area. Well, the city of Oklahoma City. The city of Oklahoma City, City, yes, is 600,000. Yes, sir. And so our goal is to to be able to impact 64,000. And the 10% is. If we can, if guy, if we can use, if we can impact 10%, the hope. And the belief is that that 10% can then become hope in their community. See, the, the thing is, is that it's kind of like planting a flag, which which we've talked about before. Um, planting a flag, the T-shirt is your flag. If we, you know, the hat is your flag, the hoodie is your flag. You're saying that this area is all about God. And so we want to be able to, however God uses us, we want to be able to impact 
10% of the city. Um, that way we can make a statement for God and be a, a, a beacon of light, uh, be uh, the salt of the earth, and to be able to just give hope. Um, you know, hope is the culture. And here's the thing is for some people, hope is not the culture. But we go back to my mom. She spoke to where she saw me going. So hope when we say hope is the culture in some areas, we know that we're speaking that by faith. Right. Right. Well, you know, in Chan Hillman. So if those of you who might have listened to one of our podcasts several, I guess, a few sessions back, Chan Hellman wrote a book entitled uh, uh, Hope Rising, How the Science of Hope Can Change Your Life. And I asked Chan here specifically, so because yeah. he was talking about changing the hope, the culture of hope in an office, in a family, yeah. all of this. And there was a, a clear methodology to do that. And I said, well, yeah. well, Chan, what about this? What about a city? How do yeah. you change it in a city? And he yeah. says, well, one of the first things you've got to do is, is you have to create a common language and you have to create an awareness that yes. hope is a value to be sought. It is. And that's what you're doing. 100%. That's what the, and, when, and that's why I got so excited. Yeah. Because I learned this last summer for the first time, and then along come you guys yeah. creating a a hope as culture whole whole deal with which is a part of what Chan was talking about. Oh yeah. If we, if we want a city of hope, and this yeah. isn't pie in the sky. Yeah. This isn't just some ethereal nonsense. This yeah. is a scientific deal. Hope is a strategy. Yes. And and you guys are specifically engaged uh, in in doing that. And on top of that, you're giving fifty percent of your Fifty percent of 50%, the gross. Completely. I mean, it's not even after you've paid the bill. Fifty percent yeah. is going back into, into the, the community. community. And that was the thing is we know that we could have just said, "Hey, can we raise money?" Um, but one of the things we, um, you know, we wanted to be able to sustain. We wanted to be able to just go on mm-hmm. and and it's it's two things. Well. When a person purchases a, a shirt or a hoodie, one, that's a flag for you, but you're also planting a flag somewhere else because half of everything that comes in is going into the community. And you say, Les, what is the community? Well, the community are other nonprofit organizations. The community are, you know, um, scholarship for kids. The mm-hmm. community is the widow that don't have a car that's trying to make it in life. The community is someone who wants to start a business in the yeah. community and be a beacon of light or hope in that community. That's what community is. It's just being the hands and the feet of God, you know, and being able to go out and impact our city for God's glory. So, so let's wrapping this up. So, um, what keeps you up at night? What keeps me? That's a really good question. Um, is this two things that keep me up at night? Uh, one, I'll quickly say uh, my own individual, my purpose. Uh, it keeps me up at night because um, when I retired from the mil- military two years ago, almost two years ago, I told God at that time that I didn't want to die at at the age of forty and live until I'm eighty five or ninety. And what I mean by that is I said, God, whatever you have for me, I'm ready. Um, I don't want to be a person to say that I retired from the military. Now I'm done with life and I'm going to just sit down and not do anything. Um, and so I, I, what keeps me up is just knowing that that God is doing some some he's adding to my legacy for his glory. Um, so it keep, that keeps me up at night, you know. Um, various things that he has me working on. Uh, <laughs> and sometimes the fear, if I'm being honest with you, the mm-hmm. fear of what's next, you know, because, um, you know, I'm, I'm the first generation and, 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 
and my family really of stability. And mm-hmm. so I'm like, wow, you know, you're adding to this. So that keeps me up, keeps me up at night. And the second thing, uh, more so that's been keeping me up at night longer than that is knowing that um, there's so much brokenness, knowing that people are hurting, knowing that um, that people want to give up on life. Um, that's why hope is so important to me because, you know, the Bible says uh, hope is an anchor for our soul. Well, when we think about an anchor, an anchor doesn't stop a boat from drifting. An anchor stops a boat from drifting away. Hmm. So when a boat is anchored and when we're anchored in God, it's not that the the waves of life won't ever crash on us. Mm-hmm. And it's not that the waves of life won't won't make us move around and rock around and make us kind of, uh, uh, we may go from the left to the right uh, and we may get wet, but an anchor stops you from drifting away. And so if God can use us to bring hope to a city, to know that it won't stop the rain from coming, mm-hmm. but it can be a shield. It can be the umbrella. It can be the things that um, your safe haven in, in the midst of the storm. That's what keep me up at night saying, God has given me this gift and I know that there's people that's hurting. And so I want to be able to empty myself out as much as I can and show people what the real anchor is. The anchor is God. 100% the anchor is God. So last question then, as you, uh, as you think about the, the listener out there, the one who's struggling. Yeah. What's, if there's, you know, one thing that Chan Hellman talked about was just, it's, it's not the great leap. It's just sometimes just the little bitty steps. Yeah. The, just the little bitty step. You've had a lot of little bitty steps. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And so, what do you what do you tell the person out there that's challenged by the culture, challenged by all this, all the all the negative stuff? It's not not feeling hope. What what's what is just that next right step? The next right step is your own personal lane, your own personal lane that God has called for you. I believe one of the things that discourage people is comparison. They compare themselves mm. to other people. That's and huge. That's I mean, everybody's doing that. Every, they are. And the thing is, that's one of the quickest things that can knock you off the pathway for your life mm. is that, you know, you can't look at other people and say, well, God, you're doing this for them or they're doing this they're doing, doing, or, or they are doing that. You have no clue what they're dealing with, what they are dealing with. And so I would say that focus on what God has for you and do not compare yourself to other people and your identity. Identity is everything. So your identity, examine yourself and ask yourself, is my my identity, is it in the bad decisions that I've made? Hmm. Or is my identity in the things that I've, I've accomplished? Your identity can't be in either. Mm. One is isn't good, and guess what? One is good, but still, your identity, your identity, you as a judge. I know people may look at you as West was the judge, but for you as an individual, your identity can't be in that. Mm. So, if someone is out there listening and you're dealing with struggles, and you're saying, you know, um, what's next? What's the next step? Don't compare yourself. And then two, what is your identity in? Even if, even if you said. I'm saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, and I've been serving God a long time. <laughs> Examine yourself. 
Because there's times where I find myself having my identity in, in other things, mm. a bad decision or a great accomplishment. Um, because we can get really caught up, especially for those that's successful. You can get caught up in that being your identity. Um, one thing that I do after every OSU game, I get a lot of accolades. I get a lot of people saying, man, great job, this and that. Mm. When I'm by myself, when no one is around, I lift my hands to the heavens and I say, Lord, every accolade I receive, I give to you. Hmm. Every great word that someone said to me, I give that over to you. That's for you that's successful. I know I've been mm-hmm. talking to the brokenness, but for you, mm-hmm. for, for everyone that's successful out there, when you lift your hands and you you and when someone tell you, oh, great job, you did this, you did that. When you, you're by yourself and you lift your hands to heaven and you say, God, everything great in me is all yours. That deals a blow to the flesh mm-hmm. and that keeps you humble. And that reminds you that everything that you do is for God's for God's glory and it's all about God. And so yeah. So I leave you with I leave you with that. You yeah. You, Les Thomas, you are an inspiration uh, to me. You, you, you are a dealer in hope, and you've dealt it in spades <laughs> to me right now. Yeah, and so I you. just, I just thank you so much. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled that you're assigned to this town. Yes, sir. And I get to be here at the same time and just watch. <laughs> yeah. it's just, uh, it's awesome. So, yeah, Les, thank you very much for for all that you do, and I'm very grateful that you would uh, give us the gift of who you are for this podcast. Yes, thank sir. Thank you. So let me give you some concluding thoughts. If Hope were a person in the room, what would she say to us? Well, I think, first of all, she'd say that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that an unchanging God designed, built you, and sent you into a moment of history as part of his loving strategy to transform a chaotic world and and make it good again. You are called as change agents. Hope would tell you that she flourishes when we listen to God and set goals for our lives that press us further toward becoming that person God has always been willing for us to become. Hope would tell you to set action steps towards achieving those goals. They don't have to be giant steps. Start with baby steps so you can be encouraged along the way. But Hope would also tell you that you've got to not just make plans to step, but you must exercise the willpower to just take that next right step. Step by step by step gets you to the destination God has for your life. It's the long obedience in the same direction. And finally, Hope would tell you that God sees us not as we are, but as we could become if we will dare. It's the same for our communities. As followers of Jesus, you are a sent people and all humans should flourish because God's kids are in town. What evil thing dies because you exist? No one else is coming. You're the generation sent to your community in this moment. You're it. Press into God's purposes for your lives And you will discover that hope abounds and that Jesus is still the God of the impossible. Thank you for joining us today on Hope Leads. 
I'm Wes Lane. Once again, I'd be honored if you would take a moment to rate this podcast, review it, subscribe, and share it with someone who needs hope. We want to thank Brianna Gaither for the song, I Won't Rest Until, from her album, Vanity. Remember, you are fearfully and wonderfully made by a God who is willing for us to live meaningful lives of profound impact. I invite you to just show up and watch God show off. Show off.